Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs for ASA. On this episode, my guest is Mike Wayne, ASA's Atlantic Fisheries Policy Director, who joins us to talk everything striped bass. We go over the basics of striped bass's life history, what's contributing to the current alarming decline in abundance, and what actions are in the works for fisheries managers to turn things around for what's arguably the most popular saltwater recreational fishery in the country. We have a lot to cover, so let's dive in. All right, I'm pleased to be joined by ASA's own Mike Wayne, our Atlantic Fisheries Policy Director. So welcome, Mike. I, I'll let you introduce yourself here in a second. When I introduce you, I usually refer to you as the world's foremost expert on Atlantic striped bass. So I'll, if you want to start there, you can, but uh, however you want to start, go ahead and, and introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, happy to be on the podcast. Um, I've been with ASA for the last three years remotely from Moorhead City, North Carolina. I've been an avid angler all my life, so this is a good fit for me, and I'm real passionate about our industry and the work we do. Um, And striped bass is a really special topic for me, which I'm sure we'll get into as uh, this episode unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. So putting you on the spot here, I don't think this is a trick question, but what would you say is the most popular saltwater recreational fishery in the country? Is it striped bass? For sure. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's just, there's something about this species that just is so remarkable to so many people. Um, And it's, it's honestly, it's hard to explain, but for anybody that's had an experiencing chasing, catching, striped bass uh they know exactly what i'm talking about it's interesting like growing up you know like growing up i was fishing for striped bass as a primary target uh living in massachusetts fishing around nantucket it it wasn't even a question when i went fishing it's like what am i targeting the answer was always striped bass and it, it wasn't just me like i through high school i worked on charter boats and people would come from all over to go fishing. And I'd always ask them, what do you guys want to catch today? And the answer was always striped bass. And so, you know, I laugh because we're, you know, in Massachusetts, bluefish is a big fishery as well. And I feel like striped bass is always stealing the spotlight from bluefish, but bluefish are fun to catch too. It's just striped bass has something special for everybody. and, And it draws so much uh, passion and interest from the recreational fishing community. It's really impressive. Yeah. And I've debated with, uh, friends in New Jersey who argue about summer flounder. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how you're going to judge it, but you know what? Yeah. You're, you're talking about your experience in Massachusetts here in DC near the Chesapeake Bay. Of course it's rockfish here, but I don't know. I think it's hard to argue against striped bass being, being number one, certainly for folks in this, in this region. And, you know, we talk about the regionality of it. I mean, really throughout New England, mid-Atlantic, I, what, talk a little bit about, you know, not just the passion behind it, but what else goes on with striped bass in terms of the importance of this fishery to coastal communities really throughout this region? Yeah, sure. So the striped bass, well, let me just back up for a second and talk 
just briefly about the life history, because I know we have some listeners from all over the country. So striped bass is anadromous, meaning it lives in the salt water and makes a migration into the freshwater in the spring to spawn and then moves back out into the ocean. And so that life history creates a lot of angling opportunity for people across the striped bass range, which is essentially Southern Virginia to the state of Maine and, and beyond, but that's the US range. And so anglers get an opportunity, a near shore angling opportunity at these fish. Um, and, and it's a dynamic fishery. Uh, you've got various spawning stocks of striped bass, and the biggest one is in the Chesapeake Bay area. And so they're, you know, up in, in the DC region, like there's, there's a big Chesapeake Bay fishery for striped bass. And <clears throat> those anglers get an opportunity to catch the fish when they're a little bit smaller, a little bit younger. And then as those fish grow and become older, they join the migratory stock that ranges along the, the ocean coastal region and and that's where all the other states really get uh an opportunity to catch them throughout the year so it's it's just a really dynamic fishery and and really economically important to you know tackle manufacturers their reps the tackle stores the charter boats the marinas across that entire range i mean simply put my Striped bass, they're, they're big business. And as we talked about before, they, they drive a lot of passion and interest across the wreckfish community. Right. So because of that passion interest, they're always going to have a lot of attention. Lately, though, the striped bass resource has been getting um, a lot of attention, maybe in a less positive, fun kind of way. So what's the what's the status of the, of the resource right now? And especially put that sort of in the context of where it's been historically, particularly like during the 80s when uh, we had to have a moratorium put in place. Are, are we getting to that point or, or where are we kind of in the context of the, the species history? Yeah, it's a good starting point, Mike. Uh, so the striped bass resource is assessed regularly so that managers and stakeholders can understand the status of the resource. And a couple of years ago, they conducted an assessment and concluded that the resource was overfished and experiencing overfishing. And there's been a pretty continuous decline in the population from about the mid 2000s, which is mainly a factor of poor year classes moving through the population, but also fishing mortality rate that was too high. So too much harvest and mortality occurring on the population, coupled with not a lot of baby striped bass kind of growing through the year classes. And so there's they're at in a poor condition, but it's not anywhere near the level that occurred in the 1980s. And I was, I was looking at the figure. I know listeners don't have the, the ability to kind of see a visual here, but the striped bass population, and when, when I refer to the population, 
the it's really about the spawning females in the population. And that level is almost four times higher than it was in the 1980s when the species was really in trouble. Um, so we're we're not at that point, we're not at the brink of collapse. Um, and there's been a lot of management response to ensure we don't get down to that level again. And nobody, you know, nobody wants that, of course. So well, let's talk about that management response because uh, agreed, most popular fishery uh, in this, at least in this part of the country, and you've got a stock going in a downward trend, that's going to be certainly cause for alarms. So what are fishery managers in this case, we're really talking about the states um, working through the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission. What are what are they doing to address this problem with the, the decline in the population? Yeah, so the the sole metric or dial, if you will, that managers have to control is that fishing mortality rate. So that's the rate at which fish die due to fishing. And just to, to spend a quick minute on the mortality, you've got mortality occurring when a fish is harvested. And then you've also got mortality occurring when an angler catches a fish and releases it. And there's an assumed release mortality rate, which is about around 9%. So one out of every 11 fish released uh, ends up dying uh, from that interaction. And there's a lot of striped bass Release 90% of all fish handled of, of all striped bass handled are released. So, so it's it is a significant portion of mortality as is harvest. So the managers have responded mainly with reductions in harvest. Um, it's the easiest thing they can control. Controlling that release mortality is a, is a lot harder to do, uh, but they've also made some strides on that as well. So, for example, they've implemented mandatory use of circle hooks when you're fishing with bait to catch striped bass. And the idea behind that was to reduce the incidences of gut hooking and hopefully increase the survival of release fish fish. And we've, we, as a, an association, have worked with some partners and tried to put out a lot of information on best handling practices uh, and ways to try to increase the survivability of released striped bass because so many fish that are handled do get released. So the, the managers have taken action uh, most recently in 2020, they reduced harvest or total removals by 18%. Uh, and to do that on the harvest side, Mike, they used a maximum size. So now striped bass along the coast, uh, which is where a bulk of the fishery takes place, is a slot limit, which is a similar management approach to the way red drum is managed, which has been successful for red drum. Um, and so the hope is to that it will be equally as successful for striped bass. But you know, if not to get 
bogged down too much here, Mike. The, the overarching control that managers have is controlling that fishing mortality rate. And the actions that they take are to reduce that to a level that allows the population to begin rebuilding. And that's, that's pretty much right where we are. Well, let's get bogged down in some weeds real quick because you can't talk striped bass management without doing so. So um, striped bass, the, the management plan's undergoing a the proposed amendment. Uh, so there's this ongoing management action, Amendment 7. What are some of the major components of that to build upon some of the recent actions to reduce release mortality? And, you know, this is obviously going to set the stage for years to come on how the fishery is going to be managed. So, so I guess give folks kind of a heads up of what's being discussed and what, uh, what the process is for the, the future management changes placed, uh, facing the fishery. Yeah. So there's the amendment document has got a lot of good information in it and we'll, we'll be following up with anglers trying to get this in their hands and, and, and a guide to help them work through it all. Um, but the, the amendment contains information, background information on the life history, like I talked about, the, the fishery, what it's looked like over time, what the status of the resources, why there's a need for management, information about habitat. There's a lot of good background information in that amendment document as it represents kind of a complete look on the management of striped bass. And then specifically as a follow-up to some of the measures that I talked about like uh, a few minutes ago, there's some other specific topics that are being explored in that document. And the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission is looking for stakeholders to provide input and feedback on how they would like those topics to look for this fishery. So yeah, just to get in the weeds a little bit on this, um, I'll tick through a few of the topics, a few of the main topics and try and just describe them very briefly. But like I said, we're going to take a deeper dive on this and help anglers get through uh, the complexities here with a follow-up guide. So um, one of the major topics in there is uh, something called management triggers, which are essentially I mean, a really unique aspect to the striped bass fishery management plan. They require management response in addition to the typical corrective actions to end overfishing and rebuild the overfish stock. Uh, so they're, they're basically precautionary triggers that make sure that fishing mortality rate is being managed where it should be. Um, there's also me measures in there to address uh, recreational release mortality in, a different, in addition to the circle hook stuff that I talked about. Um, there's some options in the document that look at uh, seasonal closures, specifically in the spawning areas to protect spawning fish, and then some other common sense gear restrictions like not landing fish with a gaff, for example, because, you, you know, really, <laughs> this is about survivability of release fish. So they're trying to make some gear changes to help improve that. And then um, there's some specifics about what the rebuilding plan will look like for this species. 
So again, the population is at a low level and we want to rebuild it back towards its target. So what that timeline looks like, um, what kind of assumptions are being made about what's necessary to achieve that rebuilding. There's, there's information in there on that. And then um, there's something called conservation equivalency, which is part of the ASMFC process which enables states to work with their specific constituents and stakeholders to come up with management measures that are conservationally equivalent, but better suit the needs of their anglers. So the document talks through that issue and, and that's been kind of a challenge for striped bass management in the past. Uh, some of the cons- some of the flexibility of conservation equivalent programs, uh, where states kind of craft measures that better suit their anglers, that's created some uncertainty uh, in the ability of the managers to actually control fishing mortality. So, uh, the document you know talks about is this flexibility that we should be allowing at this time when the stock is really in need of management outcomes that will control fishing mortality and rebuild the fishery. So there's a lot in there, Mike, and it's a 150 page document with a lot of good information and a lot of good questions about what to do with management for this this species. And so we're working through it all and, and <clears throat> talking with a lot of folks in our industry and, and other stakeholders to, to really reflect on what's, what's the best approach moving forward um, and how can we, we take real steps here to rebuild this iconic fishery. So, so we're, we're talking a lot about the, the management response here, which is of course important, but you know, as you talked about the life history earlier, this is again, an anadromous species that's running up stream up river in the spring to spawn. And ultimately there are factors, you know, well outside of the fisheries, fishery management control that's going to have an impact. And I, every year I have this like love hate relationship when the Maryland juvenile abundance index comes out. I'm like, I've got my hands over my eyes, kind of peeking through the cracks between my fingers to see what's coming. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And you know, the last few years, it hasn't been, there's a reason to shield your eyes. The numbers have been, been pretty low. We're not seeing great uh, recruitment. Those juvenile index numbers are, are low. And of course that, you know, in theories means a few years from now, what you see in recruitment should have an impact on um, the, the year classes that follow. So um, what, all, what all does this mean? How is this all impacting rebuilding and, and how does it all play into the, the management response? Yeah, Mike, you're right. I mean, the juvenile abundance index is what everyone looks for in the fall and hopes that that returns a good positive result. Uh, you know, striped bass, the history of this population has showed us that it's really those strong year classes that make a difference in a healthy population for striped bass. And so those four year classes have it have a serious impact. And the the Amendment 7 actually specifically looks at some of the assumptions 
around controlling fishing mortality and says, if there aren't a lot of baby striped bass being born annually, and we've had several poor spawning events in a row, should we better account for that in the controlling fishing mortality aspect of the management response? Because there's going to be less fish moving through the population. You need a lot of baby striped bass to get a lot of adult spawners, right? And you can't have too much for fishing mortality along the way. So all of this is related and the document does a deep dive on that and consider some assumptions about that lower recruitment to make sure that rebuilding occurs. Um, but you're right, Mike, like this is, this is a population like most that is driven by uh, strong year classes. And there's no, the, the tricky part, Mike, is there's, there's just no spawning, spawner recruit relationship, which means just because you have a lot of adult spawning females in the population does not mean you're going to get a lot of baby striped bass born annually. And so uh, that is actually really environmentally driven. And that's why everybody's holding their hands over their eyes every fall, hoping that the environmental conditions were favorable and it will result in a strong year class because we need them. We need them to support this fishery. We need them to support this uh, healthy stock and, and they are really critical. And so when, when the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission was scoping this document, we made the suggestion to try to take a deep dive on, uh, is there more that we can do on habitat? And is there more that, that can be done? Uh, you know, ASMFC has some limitations there, but we felt like it, it was important to take a deep dive on the spawning habitat stuff. And, and you, as I talked about, there is a look into the spawning closures and that will help, but uh, with it being so environmentally driven, it's not just fishing mortality uh, that answers this recruitment question. Well, and you mentioned the visuals earlier. Maybe we'll figure out a way to insert this as we're pushing this podcast out. But yeah, if folks can go back and look at the visuals of that the juvenile abundance index, especially you know when the population was at its peak, you know, 10, 15 or so years ago, you can see pretty clearly leading up to that the juvenile abundance index being really, really high. And it's just, it's been a while since we've seen numbers even approaching that. But uh, well, when's the next time we're going to get uh, an understanding of the progress towards rebuilding? Because obviously there's a lot of time and energy and thought going into the management response. But, um, but yeah, how are we going to know if that's working over time? Yeah, so the stock assessments occur fairly regularly for striped bass. It's a relatively data-rich species from an assessment standpoint. And uh, there's going to be an assessment released later this fall. I think it's the October timeframe. And I believe terminal year for that assessment will be 2021. So we'll get a better understanding for what fishing mortality has looked like since the last assessment, which was terminal year 2017, I think. So, you know, we've had four or so years go by. And like I said, the managers have responded and reduced 
total removals with some changes to the management measures. So we'll see how that uh, impacted the fishing mortality rate uh, come this fall. And I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful that, um, you know, that the measures that they implemented uh, made a difference and that we're, we'll begin to see uh, the population uh, on an increasing trajectory here. But like we said, it's, <laughs> we're not in the clear. We've got some four-year classes coming up. So uh, again, all of this is related and uh, we'll get a better understanding in October where where we go from there. And and actually in the in the just to jump back to the plan real quick, Mike, the managers did put a quicker response pathway in the management document to respond to the upcoming assessment in October if the assessment uh, returns poor results and more needs to be done to address fishing mortality. So they have. Uh, kind of progressively thought about what a management response would look like and are serious about taking action if if that's needed. But again, I'm optimistic. I'm hoping that uh, measures that they put forward are have done what they needed to to control fishing over the last fishing mortality over the last several years. So, Mike, you mentioned the the management document being, I think, 150 pages or so, which I, I know is why the industry is grateful to have folks like you to help sort through all that. So, talk through uh, what what are your plans? How how is ASA going to plan to sort through all that? And because uh, obviously, this is all really really important to the industry, but also really really technical and complicated. So, um, talk through some of the plans we have for how we're going to share this with the industry and help them get engaged. Yep, so we're creating, so I'm working through the document as we speak actually, trying to provide more detail through a guide that we'll release to help stakeholders in the angling community, you know, consider all the questions that are posed in, in the amendment document. And, and we'll give some recommendations on our positioning for those things. And it's, it's not just uh, guides that we provide, also the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission will be conducting public hearings. Uh, that schedule hasn't been announced, but um, it will be coming shortly. And there's an opportunity to attend a public hearing and hear from uh, staff at ASMFC about all the different components of the plan and what they mean and how they're related, similarly to how we walked through them briefly today. And you know, we'll be encouraging our industry to get involved in that process. And we'll create a Keep America Fishing Alert that helps people navigate this, not only the document, but the public input process. And we'll also release our guide through that to help uh, folks think about the specific options that are in the document. So I hope to have that ready soon. There's a lot to get through, but this is obviously very important to our community and our industry. And we want to make sure we're providing enough information for everybody to feel comfortable to participate in the process. 
Well, well, thanks, Mike. And would remind folks in the meantime to be sure to sign up at keepamericafishing.org for our action alerts so you can see all this information as it's coming out and be on the lookout uh, through all of ASA's channels, email, website, social media for guidance on this and a lot of other stuff that's going on. So, so thanks, Mike. This has been, I know, really helpful and informative and there's much, much more to come. Look forward to having you back on soon. I mean, you have a lot of fun, big issues. We didn't even get to talk Menhaden, offshore wind, uh, black sea bass, summer flounder, bluefish. You've got all the fun issues. So look <laughs> forward to having you back on soon to dissect all those other ones. And of course, circle back to striped bass as well, as always. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Look forward to talking more about all those issues and striped bass as well. Thanks again to Mike for taking the time to share his insights with us. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode, but in the meantime, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share the Politics of Fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening and tight lines.